Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he stood him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. May God bless the reading of this word. How many of you have seen Star Wars? Will you hold up your hand? Look around. Okay, take them now. How many of you have seen it twice? Hold up your hand. How many of you have seen Star Wars three times? Hold up your hand. Remember, they cost $4 a ticket. After the third time, it's an investment. <laughs> now, how many of you have seen The Empire Strikes Back? Look at that. How many have seen it twice? <laughs> Thank you very much. Don, come up here a minute. Let me tell you a little bit about, uh, uh, well, I've got to tell you a funny story. Uh, a couple of years ago, I don't like to go to movies anymore. I had a stroke in 1974, and after you have a stroke, you get a little gripey, and it's hard to move around as much as you used to. And so I don't go to movies very much. And my kids had already seen Star Wars for about the 10th time and uh, kept telling me about it and saying, Daddy, you need to go and see it. There's a lot of things there you could learn and it would help you to be a better preacher. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I said, I'm not going to the movies. I don't have time to go to the movies. And I saw my good friend, Dr. Billy Graham, and Billy said, what do you think of Star Wars? <laughs> I couldn't tell him. He said, why don't you see it and tell me what you think about it? And uh, so, I uh, came home and said, you all want to go see Star Wars? <laughs> we go eat supper someplace at Quincy's on Friday night. So we, we went to see Star Wars. And uh, when I came in, I was a little, still a little mad because you have to wait in a long line and the kids were throwing spitballs and you have to go through all the dumb ads. And uh, then uh, uh, I thought, why did I do this? And I sat down there and uh, uh, the darkness came, and it was one of those rocking chairs. And someone sat out in back of me and pushed the chair forward like that. Man, I turned around ready to tear his head off. And it was Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Billy looked at me with an impish grin on his face, and he said, I made you mad, didn't I? <laughs> I couldn't lie and say no. <laughs> because it was very evident that there is good and evil in us all. <laughs> and uh, uh, the bad had come out. And uh, he taught me a very valuable lesson. But the lesson doesn't follow through on some things in Star Wars and in The Empire Strikes Back. Now, I said we rated it G because we're going to make the gospel out of it this morning, but we've got to do a little explaining first. 
And our resident expert in fantasy literature is Dr. soon to be Dr. Don King, who uh, has been a lit major from Virginia Tech and the University of Southern Illinois and UNC, and he reads all this fantasy literature, and he helps me to get my thinking straight about it. What do you think about it? Well, I think it's an excellent movie uh, that any Christian should be happy to see. It's good, clean, fun, great entertainment, a lot of special effects, and if you're into that, it's certainly a lot of fun, but there are some problems with it. What are the problems? Well, I think, first of all, the, the biggest problem, at least for a Christian, is that uh, these movies tend to show God as a dualistic force in the universe. And what I mean by that is uh, the force, those of you who have seen the movie, the force is presented as a kind of godlike figure. And this force has both a good and a bad side. And if you examine that in light of Scripture, we see that the biblical revelation of God is not that way. God is always good. God is light, and he is never darkness. Uh, where does George Lucas, by the way, the man who produced these two films, George Lucas only made $400 million off of Star Wars, so he wanted to make another one. And uh, uh, I don't know how much he's made off of The Empire Strikes Back, but it must be right considerable. This is a copy of Time magazine uh, with uh, Darth Vader on the front of it. And uh, the reason that I told the story about uh, the anger that I felt uh, when I turned around is that there is two natures in me. I have to fight against the old Adam. But you can't make the Son of God uh, as an evil person and a good person, nor can you say that God is dualistic, that God has a good side and a bad side, because God does not. Now, God became man so that Jesus Christ could defeat uh, evil, and he did. But Jesus was sinless, holy, harmless, and undefiled and without sin. And this is where the analogies begin to break down. Uh, what would you say about, what does C.S. Well, Lewis... I found a little uh, quote here by C.S. Lewis in the introduction to his Screwtape Letters, and he deals with this point uh, pretty succinctly. He says, the commonest question is whether I believe in the devil. Now, if by the devil you mean a power opposite to God and like God, self-existent from all eternity, the answer is certainly no. There is no uncreated being except God. God has no opposite. No being could attain a perfect badness opposite to the perfect goodness of God. For when you have taken away every kind of good thing, things like intelligence, will, memory, energy, and so forth, there would be nothing of him left. And Lewis goes on to say that actually Satan's real opposite is not God, but Michael, the, the head of the angels. Why do you think it's important for us to read fantasy literature? Well, for one thing, um, there are a lot of different reasons, I think. And uh, Tolkien, one of the greatest writers of fantasy literature, points out that at least one reason is that fantasy literature offers us an escape from a world that is sometimes not, not all that happy to be in. Uh, and otherwise, we fantasize all the time from the time we're little children. So I think it's much better to fantasize about good things than to fantasize about bad things. Thank you, Don. Um, you know, I wanted to say also this. There's a little magazine called Cornerstone that deals with a lot of the things that come into play when we talk about a force. And C.S. Lewis is quoted also in this evaluation of The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, now, for those of you who are new to C.S. Lewis, and no member of our congregation is, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, had the best of both worlds. He was educated at Oxford and Cambridge, uh, and taught, at, both, uh, taught uh, at Cambridge and at Oxford. And uh, Lewis wrote in the Narn Chronicles of Narnia good fantasy literature uh, that is highly recommended and that teaches Christian truth. His great friend was J.R.R. Tolkien, and that's the other, that's the third movie I've seen in four years, was uh, The Lord of the Rings. 
Uh, and uh, you can see uh, a struggle between good and evil from a real biblical perspective in Lewis and Tolkien. It breaks down, though, when you get to George Lucas because uh, he has a lot of Eastern mysticism in his idea. Uh, his is that stuff where you have an aura about you. That's an old archaic word for a halo. And uh, that uh, when you're born, you have this energy uh, about you, and that force uh, is absorbed into other forces, and you deal with a force. Now, Lewis said many, many years ago, when you're feeling fit and fine and the sun is shining and you do not want to believe that the whole universe is a mere mechanical dance of atoms, it's nice to be able to think of this great mysterious force rolling on through the centuries and carrying you on its crest. If, on the other hand, you want to do something rather shabby and mean, the life force being only a blind force with no morals and no mind will never interfere with you like that troublesome God that we learned about when we were little children. The life force is a sort of tame God, all the thrills of religion and none of the cost. Now, you see, that's why we like Star Wars. It's the special effects of zooming in between those meteorites and so forth. Uh, and you, you see that. But there's no cause. Actually, the most likable people in the film are the robots, R2-D2. And uh, the other, they're more human than some of the people are. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the point here is uh, good and evil. Now, we have been studying... Uh, in our church for many weeks, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, let me review just a little bit about the teaching of the Lord's Prayer and show you simply how important it is to Christian worship. Our new friends who have come to a faith in Jesus Christ uh, came from a Buddhist background uh, of, uh, where God is not a father, but Jesus teaches us to say very simply, Our Father. Father is a personality, a person, one to whom we are answerable to, one who cares when his son goes off into a far country, one who rejoices when his son comes back to him again. This is what Jesus pictures us uh, of God. He tells us to, to call upon God as Father, the very best image of Father that we can possibly imagine in our minds, and then far more in holiness and unerring ways, and to think of him as father. Not a principle, not a force, but a person, and one who loves us very much, greater than our ability really to comprehend the fullness of his love. We say that he is our father, that there are other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been reconciled to God through him. And these dear friends today have now become our blood-bought brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The rules have not been changed since Jesus walked on the earth. Discipleship is still what Jesus defined discipleship as being. The Christian faith is still what the Apostles' Creed says that the Christian faith is. It's not been changed for the 1980 updated version. And so, we pray to God in six petitions. The first three have to do with uh, his own glory. Hallowed be thy name. 
that those of us who are called by the name of Christians should live in a way that brings honor to our Heavenly Father. We have to explain to our friends who come from Southeast Asia that not all Americans are Christians. Not even all church members are Christians. We should live in a way that honors God, a way that honors Jesus Christ in our speech, in the keeping of our words pure and holy, in our deeds. Oh, we are to bring honor to him. We pray for the coming of his kingdom. That means his rule over our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great Christian, has said that the start of sin is when we become the center of our universe instead of God. When we want to manipulate God to do what we want done, but we pray for the coming of his kingly rule, and Jesus' kingdom is coming. It's coming. It's coming day after day after day after day. God's purposes are being worked out and his kingdom is coming and we pray for the coming of that kingdom. We pray for his will to be done in the third petition that relates to God. We pray not our will, but his will. And you'll never be closer to God than in that moment of sacrifice when you're willing to pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus saw his father as a person. God is a person. And the doing of his will was the greatest happiness of Jesus' life. And that means doing his will means loving and not hating. It means doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. It means giving and not grabbing. It means service and not selfishness. And then we pray for our needs. Jesus knows that we have daily needs. And so we are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread. This summer when I went back to Texas, I saw out there the parched, arid farms that were burned up from the lack of drought, from the lack of rain and the great drought that had come. All of the big farm machinery is so much useless iron unless God sends the rain to make the seed grow. And so, no matter who you are, when you have the opportunity to sit down at a meal today and eat, thank your Father in heaven. Thank him that you have food to eat. This is why we say grace before meals. Jesus did not teach us to pray, give us this day our daily cake. And he does not mean when we pray for the Father to give us our daily bread that we're not to do anything about it. It's true that he feeds the sparrows, but the sparrows don't sit around with their mouths open waiting for God to drop a crumb in. They go and look for it. And then he said, forgive us our debts, that is our sins. Jesus recognized that all of us are sinners. That's why we confess this when we become Christians. We're all sinners. And just as surely as we need daily bread to sustain our bodies, we need the forgiveness of sins. Who of us can come to the end of a day and at night when we go to rest can possibly think that we have lived that day perfectly and that we do not need the forgiveness of God? 
And what we ask God to give to us, we cannot withhold from someone else. If I withhold forgiveness from someone else, then I short-circuit the forgiveness of God. For Jesus said, if you do not forgive others, you will not be forgiven. And so that's why he teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he tells us in the third petition regarding our human needs, lead us not into temptation. We saw a few weeks ago, we develop muscle, we develop a bone, we de backbone by tests. But we pray that during the time of trial, that we won't give up and let the test be too much for us. God does not tempt us to do evil, but he sends us sometimes through trials or allows the devil to test us, but we pray not to be tested above that which we are able. And then he prays, and if you have a, a New American Standard Version or an RSV, you'll notice that we, the prayer is deliver us not just from evil, but from the evil one a personality, a will that is set against God. The Bible teaches us that the devil is a fallen angel, one who was once in a position of great authority, but who rebelled against God. And instead of Jesus, as Jesus said, thy will be done in obedience to his heavenly Father, the devil wanted his will exercised against the will of God. And he is a fallen angel. And there are many demons under his command. Many of them. And so he is at work in Cambodia. He is at work in Montreat. He is at work in our own individual lives. There is that evil which each of us must struggle with. And there is social evil on a worldwide scale that has to be dealt with. And so Jesus says, give us victory over the evil one. He knows that he is at work. Don King read to you how that when Jesus began his ministry, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil, the evil one, 40 days and 40 nights. And how the devil came to him and said in his slanderous way, Oh, if you're the son of God, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. Surely your loving father wouldn't let you die of hunger. Turn the stones into bread. But Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And cited scripture to the devil. We have that same weapon to fight against the evil one. We have scripture, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The devil came to Jesus and said, go up on top of the pinnacle in Jerusalem and jump down and then the people will be razzle-dazzled by the sight of your uh, proudness. And you know that the scriptures say that he's given his angels charge over you to catch you lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus would not succumb to this. He would not do a stunt in order to attract us unto himself. He wouldn't work this trick. He wouldn't resort to it. He would not do the devil's bidding. Now remember this. You can never do God's will in the devil's way. Reply to no man evil for evil is what scripture says. But rather we are to do God's work in God's way for God's glory. And then he took him up and showed him in a moment of time all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, all of your kingdom will come already. 
But Jesus said, it is written, you will worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And Jesus would not bow down to the devil. Don King will teach in the Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky's great novel, how the Grand Inquisitor, an old man, 90 years of age, who, age, who is sort of a Darth Vader figure, 90 years of age and a priest in Seville and Spain, a cardinal of the church, how Jesus comes back and works miracles, and how this evil priest, who started off good, but then became a servant of the evil one, he turned and became evil. He sees Jesus one day when a white coffin of a little child is being taken into the cathedral in Seville. And the inquisitor is across the square and he sees it. And the people are shouting, he is the Messiah, Jesus, who had been healing the sick and making the blind to see and the lame to walk in this legend of Dostoevsky's. They say if he's the Messiah, he'll raise your little child. And the mother falls at Jesus' feet and begs him. And Jesus has the coffin opened and says, Talithi kumi, little maid, arise. And the little maid with the white roses clasped in her hand awakens with a dazzling smile. And then that evil priest sends for Jesus to come. Has him arrested and says to him, why didn't you obey the great spirit in the wilderness? Why didn't you turn stones into bread? Why didn't you bow down to him? All you do is cause trouble. Why don't you go away and never, never come back? And he smites Jesus in Dostoevsky's parable. Well, now this is important for us to remember. We must not try to do God's work in the devil's way. We cannot do that. And so in the end of the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray, Jesus taught us to pray for deliverance from the evil one. If Jesus took the devil seriously, you must take him seriously too. If you see Paul in writing his letter to the Ephesians, and I intended to read the lesson from Ephesians from this combat version of the Bible which a Marine gave to me. That's a camouflage version of the New Testament that a man takes into combat. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That we are engaged in a wrestle, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this present world and its darkness and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Now then I have to close. We sung uh, uh, at our first hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That's a great hymn of Martin Luther. Uh, C.S. Lewis said you make two mistakes in thinking about the devil. One mistake is to be so obsessed with demons that you see them everywhere. The demon of the post-nasal drip, the demon of calories in food that you want to eat. Uh, you can see demons everywhere and they become obsessed with demons. And that's giving the devil too much his due. The other is the liberal route, which to say there is no devil at all. If there isn't, someone is certainly messing things up. So Jesus teaches us that he is an enemy and one to be taken seriously and to be fought against. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
John Calvin said, deliver me from all kinds of evil. And so when Martin Luther writes his hymn, he puts into that hymn God and Christ and the devil. And if you read the hymn which is based on the 46th Psalm, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the floods of mortal ills prevailing. We do have those mortal ills to deal with in our own day-by-day walk. Then listen to what he says. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. That's one reason you shouldn't sing the first stanza of a hymn only, because you'd have to stop right here, and that'd be a poor place to stop. On earth is not his equal. But there is an equal, more than an equal, one who is victor over him, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we sing on in the second stanza, Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Now who is it going to be? Dost ask who that may be? And then he gives us his name. Christ Jesus. It is he. Lord Sabaoth his name. Do you know what Lord Sabaoth means? That is taken right out of Isaiah, and it means the shepherd who does not lose his sheep. A good shepherd. The shepherd who does not lose his sheep, Lord Sabaoth his name. And that's a great thing to remember. Now he, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. The third stanza, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. And you see the truth that's going to triumph there. We have that weapon. We have the sword of the Spirit. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. One little word shall fail him. What will that word be that fells the devil? Well, I know that there are people, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours. If you're charismatic, Martin Luther loves you. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom, his kingdom is forever. Now, I had the Apostles' Creed cited for a reason. If you're worried about the powers of evil in the world, and if you read about the film The Exorcist and the Casting Out of Demons, one of the ways that the Apostles' Creed was first used was used to cast out demons. Put the emphasis not on Believing and being obsessed with all the things the devil is doing. We should know our enemy. But we should not think that he is all-powerful because he is not. And so we believe. And our belief in the one who triumphs for us. And in the God who is our God. Was used by the earliest Christians to defeat the devil and demons. And one of the reasons that they recited the creed. 
at baptism and the Lord's Supper and when believers confessed their faith in him was so that they would know that they believed in one who was all-powerful and would defeat the devil. We say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. It's all real. He ascended to heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And now devil scat. Because if you've got this, you've got him whipped. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now, have you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life? There's no need for the devil to have victory over you. You have all of this going for you. You surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen is a big Hebrew word that comes from rock. And it means that he wins. Let us stand and be dismissed in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this prayer that we've been studying. We recognize that we do face evil on a large scale because there is an evil will and power in this world. But we thank you that he is an enemy who has been defeated at Calvary and will ultimately be cast into the pit. We thank thee, Father, for your power and strength so that we do not have to fear or panic or make any alliance with the evil one. We simply ask you to defeat him and to give us your armament so that we may be fighting against him, so that we may be men and women and boys and girls who are strong, fighting against evil in this world, trusting in you. Protect us with your sure foundation. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all, now and forevermore.